Happy holidays. I don't know what that song means to you, but when I hear it, it's telling me to be happy, but I just feel stressed like I'm in a shopping center. It's the holidays, and um, during the holiday season, uh, we're supposed to uh, celebrate. It's a time for us to get together with our family and uh, take stock of all the things that God has done in our lives. And in our culture, during the holidays, we really promote gratitude, generosity. Those are, those are things that we're supposed to really um, choose during the holiday season. And even in our culture that doesn't really um, think that Jesus has much to do with Christmas anymore, we still promote uh, the value of gratitude and generosity. Uh, our culture still says it's really important that during the holiday seasons you choose an attitude of gratitude. In fact, you can find articles online, lots of them, that extol the benefits, personal benefits for people who will choose gratitude during the holiday season. I found an article in Forbes magazine. It said there are seven benefits to being a grateful person. Check this out. If you're a grateful person, it opens doors for you relationally. Grateful people have better health. Grateful people have better psychological well-being. People who are grateful report reduced stress, more empathy. They sleep better. They have a better self-image. They're more resilient. This is an article that's telling us that if we choose gratitude, it'll be good for us. And all of us, for the most part, during the holiday season, we do want to be grateful. We want to be generous. And I do, too. I mean, I agree. Gratitude's a great thing. Most of us do. But my problem isn't that I don't think that gratitude is good. Of course, I think gratitude is good. My problem is that when I get to the end of the year right around this time in November, and I'm tired and I'm stressed, I don't feel very grateful. I don't feel very generous. There's what I ought to do, and there's where I really am. And you may feel that way too. And in our culture that's constantly telling us, be grateful, be generous, be happy, we want to be, but what are we supposed to do? Well, it's like a fly attacking me. What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to just gin up the emotion? I mean, where does real gratitude come from? Where does it come from? That's what we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks. We're starting a new message series. It's called Immeasurably More. And we're going to be looking at the generosity and the goodness of God and how we can respond to his goodness and generosity with gratitude and generosity of our own. The verse that we've selected um, that summarizes the theme of this series is Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now glory be to God by his mighty power at work within us, He is able to accomplish immeasurably more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. And there's a great picture on the front of your program. It looks like this, of just bounty, overflowing abundance. There's a guy with a sack full of grain. And this is an image that captures what God is saying he wants to do in our life. He has given us immeasurably more in his son Jesus. He wants to give us immeasurably more than we would dare to ask or hope as we walk with him throughout our life. That's the promise that we have from our Father in heaven. That's, that's the hope that we have as Christians in our relationship with God. And so we're going to be looking at that topic over the next four weeks. But again, during the holiday seasons, I don't always feel grateful. You know, I don't wake up on Thanksgiving morning with Andy Williams' song, It's the most one that's not playing in my head. You know, I wake up on Thanksgiving morning and I'm I mean, I'm a little bit stressed out. I'm trying to make sure everything's good. I, during the holiday seasons, it, I want to slow down 
and it seems like everything is ramping up. Right? I mean, you, you want to give and be generous, but I find that I'm always tightest financially right around this time. And I feel this tension. So what do I do? Where does gratitude come from? How, how do I really become the kind of grateful person that I want to be? And what I learn as I walk with God is that my gratitude, it overflows as my intimacy with God grows. That's what I learned. The deeper relationship that I have with God the more gratitude and joy overflows into my life. And this kind of gratitude isn't our cultural gratitude, which burns hot and then gets cold towards the end of December. And it burns out like a Christmas light. This kind of gratitude, there it is again, this kind of gratitude, um, it lasts because it's rooted in my relationship with God. And so when we say that our gratitude overflows, when our intimacy with God grows, it brings up two really good questions. The first question is, what does an intimate relationship with God look like? What does that even mean? And the second is, how do I get that kind of relationship with God? And that's why I'm, I'm really excited to talk about Psalm 63 today. That's the, that's the passage of scripture we're going to be looking at. Because Psalm 63 is one of those great psalms in the Bible. Psalms is a book of prayers. It was written by several authors. And one of the guys that wrote it, a lot of the psalms, is King David. And King David has a great life. Uh, a great story to, to, to study. He started off in the, in the fields, in the plains, as a shepherd. He was a shepherd. He took care of his dad's sheep. And he was a man who loved God with his whole heart. And God raised him up and put him in the palace, made him the king of Israel. He was the greatest king in the nation of Israel. And God did amazing things in David's life. One of the most famous stories about David was when he defeated Goliath, nine-foot-tall giant, beat him with one rock. This is a famous picture of David about to cut off Goliath's head with his own sword. Great story. God did big things in David's life. But now when he writes Psalm 63, he's at the end of his life and things are not going well. Because his son, Absalom, he wants his dad's crown. His son, Absalom, is trying to murder his father and take his kingdom. He wants to steal the throne. David finds out from a faithful servant, and he tries to rush out of his city. He has to gather his friends and his family, and he takes off out of Jerusalem back into the desert that he grew up in, back into the wasteland that he led his father's sheep around from water to water and grass to grass. This is where he started out his life, and now he's at the end of his life, and he's on the run. He's tired. He feels betrayed. He's obviously stressed out, and he has no idea how it's going to work out. That's his situation when he writes Psalm 63. And we feel like that a lot. We feel stressed. We feel tired. We feel like what our life requires of us is beyond what the resources that we have. And what's great about Psalm 63 is that it's like, it's like his circumstances are squeezing him like a toothpaste tube. And what's coming out is what's really true about David and his relationship with God. You see what he really hopes in, what he really trusts in, what he really loves, what really satisfies his soul. And it's very instructive for me. It gives me a picture of an intimate relationship with my Father in heaven. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're going to be going through it. So let's go ahead and read the whole psalm together, and then we'll go through it piece by piece and see what we can learn from David. So David writes Psalm 63, and he says, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, 
my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and I meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wing, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king, the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult for the mouth of liars will be stopped. I think there's three things that that kind of jumped out of me as I studied this passage and tried to understand what what a real intimate relationship with God looks like. The first one is that if you listen to David, David thirsts for God, not something God can give him. None of us want people to relate to us for what we can give them. All of us want our kids, our spouses, our friends, our boyfriends and girlfriends. We want them to like us for who we are. We want them to value us, not just what we can give them. We don't want to be a means to an end. That's, that's actually how relationships, relationships that really satisfy our soul are relationships where people love us for who we are and we love them for who they are. But sometimes we're in relationships where it feels like people are really to just kind of want something from us. I remember um, when I, uh, this time of the year, it's uh, November, I teach at a high school. And right around this time of the year, high school students are applying to colleges all over the country. And they need letters of recommendation. And I, I love to write letters of recommendation for my students. And um, when I first started teaching years ago, right around this time, students would come to my classroom. I hadn't seen them since last year. I teach juniors, so they're seniors. And they'd be like, hey, Sprinkle, how you doing? I'm like, good. They're like, how's your family? They're great. How's your kids? Good. You know, I hear good things about your class. Thanks. And how are you doing? And we're talking and we're catching up. And it's like, wow, they like me. You know, they came back and they wanted to see me. And they're like, all right, bye, Sprinkle. Good to see you. And I'm like, yeah, bye. Come back anytime. I'm like, wow, I'm making a difference, you know. And a lot of students are coming and seeing me. But then, like a couple days later, I get an email. Bloop. Hey, Sprinkle, can I get a letter of recommendation? Hey, Sprinkle, it's good talking to you yesterday. Can I get a letter of recommendation? And that's fine. I mean, I want to help them. I want to write a letter of recommendation. But it feels a little bit like they're reconnecting with me so that I can get them a letter of recommendation. And that's very different than the kind of relationship that we want to have with with our friends and our family and really with God. My sons, Ben and Jake, they're eight and four. Uh, they, they want their dad for their dad. They, they, don't, they don't want my love and affection and attention for, for something they can get from me. They, they just want their dad. They're still, they're young. When I get home and I'm about to unlock the door, sometimes my eight-year-old, my four-year-old, they will open the door before I can even open the door. And they'll say, hey, dad, and they'll, they'll grab me and they'll give me hugs and they'll give me kisses and they'll pull me into their bedroom and they want me to play. And, and my son, Jake, who's four, he's like, hey, he's talking to me and he wants me to give him my attention. And, and Ben wants my attention. and They both want my attention. And, and what is going on is they want their dad's love and attention and affection because that satisfies their soul. There's something in a child that just wants the affection and the attention and the love of their parents. And you see that in your kids. Even my, even my six-month-old baby, Judah, I was at Denny's yesterday for my mother-in-law's birthday, and this is Judah, and uh, he was kind of fussy, and so I take him, and I'm picking him up, and I'm throwing him up in the air, you know, I'm throwing him up, and I'm kissing him, and I'm, I'm making funny noises, and I'm playing with him, and he's just, he's smiling, and he's giggling, and he's happy, and his face is lighting up. Why? 
It's like the sun is shining on his little heart because he's getting his dad's full attention, his dad's affection, his love. That satisfies our soul. And that's exactly how our relationship with our Heavenly Father works. There is a satisfaction and a joy that your soul thirsts for that you cannot get in any other relationship or anything that God has created. You can only get it in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. And David, he has that relationship. And that's what he's talking about in Psalm 63. Let's read the first section of Psalm 63. He says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I look upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. David, he just wants God. He wants God's attention. He wants his affection. He wants, he wants to connect with his heavenly father. That's what satisfies his soul. Consider Absalom as a contrast. Absalom doesn't love his dad. Absalom wants his dad's crown. When Absalom comes to his father David, it's to get something. And when his father gets old, Absalom sees a chance to take what he really wants. He starts a rebellion. And we can go to God like that. We can make God a means to an end. When we spend time with him, it's really because we want him to give what we really love. Or we spend time with him so that we can get back to what really satisfies us. And that's, that's got a name. That's called idolatry. And idolatry is the number one problem for the human race. Because idolatry is about what I love most. And there's all sorts of things in this world, good things, things that God created, things that he wants me to enjoy, that I can make ultimate things that I love most. That's really normal for human beings. Whenever you have something that you've got to have, you've got to experience, and if you can't have it, you can't be happy, that's an idol. And so that chokes our intimacy with God. And I always know when I'm letting idols start to crop them in my heart, whenever I think about what I don't want to give up, to spend time with God. So it's late, it's a long week, I put my kids to bed, and I probably should go to bed, get a good night's sleep, rest my body, so I can get up early in the morning and spend time with my Father in Heaven. That's, that's what I should do. Because that's what's going to satisfy my soul. That's what's going to make my heart sing and smile like my six-month-old Judah. That's what I need. But if I go to bed early... I can't binge watch Netflix. I got a house of cards to watch. You know, I like to look at Facebook and just scroll and scroll. Or maybe I want to check my fantasy football scores. Or maybe I want to read a blog or read about politics or read about news. Or There's other things that I think I've got to have to get my refreshment. Otherwise, I'm not going to be oh, satisfied. And what I do is I give up my time with my father so that I can eat and consume and enjoy and, and, and get these things that he's made. They're good things, but they're not the greatest thing. There is satisfaction, but they don't satisfy in the greatest way. I know that's going on whenever I notice that tension in my heart. So how do we fix it? How do we restore God's place as the one that we love with all our heart and with all our mind and with all our soul and all our strength, which is the first and greatest command? Love God most. That summarizes all the commands. How do, we, how do we get back to there? Well, David actually shows us two things. The first thing is, 
We have to seek the Lord early and seek him often. David says, earnestly, I seek you. Earnest, that means early, aggressive, direct. I'm after it. I want to be with you. David is constantly trying to get time with his father in heaven. Sometimes when I come to church in the morning, my son Ben, who's eight, he's like, Dad, can I go with you? Sometimes after church, when my wife Joy takes the kids home, Ben says, hey, Dad, can I stay with you? Yesterday we had an event, and I had to go set up early. My son Ben's like, Dad, can I come with you? He's seeking me early and often. He's, he's earnest. He wants to spend time with me. We have to spend time with our father. We have to spend time with our father in heaven. Because you all know this. Quality time between you and people That comes from quantity time. Quantity time is required for quality time. Think about it. You don't tell your son or your boyfriend or girlfriend, I have an hour before I go to work. We're going to spend quality time. Now, pour out your heart to me. You can't schedule quality time. It doesn't work that way. Those moments where you connect at a heart level with a person, they come from spending lots of time together. And that's how it works. It's not all that different in our relationship with God. David, he's seeking God earnestly, early and often. He's spending time with his father. The second thing you have to do, David says, I beheld your power and glory in the sanctuary. Can you go back to the previous verse? Yes. So I looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. What what the sanctuary was, the sanctuary is talking about a tent where God dwelled. That's where heaven met earth. That's where the spirit of God lived amongst people. And you could come and communicate and worship God there. And if you were in the sanctuary, if you went to that place on earth, you would have seen and heard some things. You would have heard singing like we just did. You would hear the word of God being preached by priests like I'm preaching. You would see people giving offerings to God, communicating his great worth to them. You'd hear testimony of people talking about what God did and how he took care of me and how he healed me and how he came through. You would be surrounded by a surround sound experience of God's glory and his power. That's what happens when you plug into the people of God. You see God's goodness all around you. Now, how does that work today? Because God's spirit doesn't dwell in a tent built by men. According to the Bible, according to what Jesus says, God's spirit dwells in every believer. God lives within us. And when we come together as a body, as a church, God manifests or makes himself visible to all of us. And you see it as you plug into a church, as you participate in your church, you hear people talk about God's goodness. Here's how God came through for me. Here's what God did for me. Here's what I was really, when I was really scared, when I was really tired, when I was really needy. Here's, here's how God, his power and his glory t- took care of me. You, you hear testimony you see God working. And I've, I've actually been encouraged in my faith, in my relationship with God, by being a part of Church in the Valley. A couple years ago, <clears throat> a couple in our church, their son, he was dying. His organs were shutting down. He was in a coma. And everybody was praying. And the doctor said that he wasn't going to make it. And our pastor's wife, Cindy, was sending out emails constantly updating us on what was going on. And we were praying and praying. And I remember going home one day from the hospital and saying to God, God, can't you, can't you heal? Don't you still heal? Like, heal, please. But I wasn't, I wasn't sure. I wasn't convinced, you know. I just, I just had never seen God do anything like that. And then his organs started turning back on. And he came out of a coma. And the doctors couldn't explain it. It was a miracle. God healed this man. And I remember thinking, you mean it's, it's real? Like we can ask you for like specific practical things? Now, I'm not saying whenever you pray, God's going to heal. And we know that's not true. 
But I tend to think that God is not, you know, he's not that close. He's not listening that intimately. And what I, what happened was I beheld his power and glory as I was a part of the church. And that's what happens as you participate in the church. Over time, you see God working all around you and it encourages you to trust in him yourself. The second thing we can learn from David is that when, when we fill our mouths with praise, God fills our heart with joy. David is always talking about God. He's praising God. He's writing poetry to God. He's studying the Bible. He's singing to God. He's telling God about what God has done, people about what God has done. He's really in to God's word. That's what the king of Israel was like. In fact, that's what everyone who's had a deep, intimate relationship with God is like. They love the Bible. They love to study it. They love to spend time with God and his word. You can just see David on his tent floor. You know, he's got his commentaries out, right? He's studying some passage in Deuteronomy. He's got his laptop open. He's got a sermon preaching from YouTube. You know, he's listening to some music on Pandora. He's sending his priest an email trying to figure out what some word means in Hebrew. David is the kind of guy that just wants to know God and so aggressively studies the Bible. That's what he was like. And what is that called? That's called extreme. That's called a little bit too religious. In our culture, we don't have a whole lot of respect for people like that. That's a little bit odd. But in the Bible, it's called meditation. It's called meditation. And what do you get when you meditate? According to David, you get something pretty awesome. According to David, when you chew on God's word, when you meditate on God's word, it satisfies your soul more than the best meal you've ever had. Have you ever had a really great meal? A meal that's so good it just makes you tingle afterwards. I went to Ruth Chris Steakhouse years ago. Had the best steak I've ever had in my life. I didn't stop talking for it, about it for like two weeks. Many of you have heard the story. I'm talking about it now. When you have a great meal that just satisfies your stomach and your soul, you tell everybody about it. You praise it. In fact, I was looking at my Facebook page. And I was, I was like, do I, do I post any pictures about food? And I realized something. I, like every other picture, not every other, maybe one out of every ten pictures on Facebook is about food. Look at some of these pictures. Steak, 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 and John Mayer tickets. Like, if you just go through my timeline, you're just going to see a lot of pictures of my son and food. And we do that because we love to eat. And, and when we eat a meal and it's so good, man, it just satisfies. David says, he claims, that when you spend time with God and his word, it satisfies you more than that. That's a big claim because we're Americans and we eat good. Read what he says in Psalm 63. He says, because your love, your steadfast love, is better than life. That's a big claim right there. Everything in life isn't as great as the love, affection, and attention that I can get with you. That's better than everything in this world. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When? When will that happen? When I remember you upon my bed and I meditate on you in the watches of the night. This guy is saying that when he spends time with his heavenly father, when he sits down with the Bible and tries to understand it and study it and figure out what God is saying and work it into his life, it soaks nutrients and satisfaction into his soul that is greater than the best steak I've ever had. I want an intimate relationship with God. But I have to meditate on God's word to get it. 
What do you meditate on? What do you fill your mind with? What do you watch? What do you read? What do you listen to? If you're like me and most Americans, it's a lot of secular media. And that's not bad. Football and all this other stuff that we enjoy, that's not bad. That's good. But when all we do is listen and fill our minds and watch information that has nothing to do with God, that never praises God, that never talks about how awesome and good and loving and satisfying our life is when we walk with our Heavenly Father, that kind of stuff is not helping us grow closer to God. We watch sports, we watch movies, we watch TV, we read news, politics, Pinterest, and Facebook. And what do you get excited about? That's a great question to ask too. If you want to figure out if maybe a little bit idols kind of growing in your heart, ask yourself this question. If my son or daughter, if my boyfriend or girlfriend, or if my mom or dad or my husband or wife was asked, what really fires me up? I mean, when do I light up and I, my hands start lifting up and I'm, I'm really interested and I'm really engaged? Like what, what, what do I speak with conviction about? What am I really pumped about? What topic could you bring up and you know that this person is just going to want to talk about it? Now, it's not bad to want to talk about all those other things. Those are great things. But if all we get excited about are things that are created and we never get excited about our creator, that says something. Maybe our heart is starting to drift. And the anxiety that we feel in our life, it is tied directly to our intimacy with God. And our intimacy with God is tied to how much of the Bible we meditate on. So the habit we have to learn is we have to spend time meditating on the Bible. And as we do, God satisfies our soul. The third thing we can learn from David is that God's goodness today is the thing that gives us hope for tomorrow. We live in an unstable world. ISIS, murdering innocent people all over the world, an economy that still hasn't recovered since 2007. People work harder and harder, and it it doesn't seem to produce the same quality of life that we remember when we were young. We have lots of reasons to be stressed about tomorrow. But yet David, who has his son trying to kill him, has joy and peace and gratitude in his heart. How? Because he remembers God's goodness yesterday. He remembers God's, well, he's experiencing God's goodness today, and that gives him confidence about tomorrow. Listen to what he says. He says, for you have been my help. You have been my help. This isn't new. I'm in the desert running from a king. I've been here before. Saul tried to take my life 30 years ago, and you protected me with Saul. You have been my help when I fought a giant named Goliath. You were my help when lions tried to kill me, when bears tried to kill me. You helped me to unite my kingdom. You helped me to conquer my enemies. You have been my help. And you are my help. He goes on to say, and in the shadow of your wing, I'm going to sing for joy. My soul, it clings to you. And as my soul clings to you, your right hand, it upholds me. This is a picture of what God wants our relationship with him to be like. Take a look. It's one of my favorite pictures. I don't even know what kind of bird that is. But I know those are baby birds and they're hiding in the shadow of their mother's wing or maybe their father's wing. I don't know. That kind of relationship, that kind of intimacy, that's the kind of thing that God created us for. That's what God wants for you and him. And as we meditate on his word, as we seek him early and often, as we see his power and glory in the midst of his church, we are clinging to him. And then he upholds you with his right hand. And so the the habit we have to develop is we have to begin to preach God's goodness to ourselves. We have to remember what he's done and what he's doing so we can be confident about what he will do. 
Listen to the last part of the passage. He says, God, you have been faithful. You are being faithful. And therefore, I'm going to be confident about the future. He says, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths. They shall be given over to power of the sword. They shall be apportioned for jackals. But the king shall enjoy, rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouth of liars will be stopped. He is confident about tomorrow. How can he be confident? What possible reason does he have to be confident? If you're a betting man, you bet on Absalom. But David, he doesn't have that fear. He has God upholding him. He has peace. He has joy. He has gratitude because he remembers what God has done and he sees what God is doing and he knows what God will do. In your life, as you walk with God, he is faithful and good. He takes care of you so good. And then you remember when things get hard. My family, we're going through that right now. I have this Kia Rio 2002, only 80,000 miles on it, right? It's a commuter car. It's going to last me for another 10 years. I'm driving down the freeway the other day and the engine shuts off. I get it towed to the shop. Mechanic checks it out. He says, eh, so your timing belt broke and your engine's totaled. So yeah, your car's worthless. It's the most wonderful time of the year. So I have to buy a new car. And I wasn't expecting that, you know, and I see the money in my bank account going, boo, and then I realize that stresses me out, right? And I, I, I feel anxious. I have to get a new car. And, and, you know, maybe that's not a big thing in the grand scheme, but for me, it's not a good time. It's not convenient. And I start to feel anxiety and stress, and it's starting to consume my thoughts, and I'm meditating it all the time. And my, my, my wife and I are talking, and we realize, you know what? God has been good to us. He has taken care of us, and he is going to take care of us. So we are going to remember his goodness. We are going to preach his goodness to ourselves. And so we heard from this guy in, in Texas, Pastor Harold Bullock. You may be familiar with Pastor Harold. Um, he, he, uh, when his family was going through a rough time in the past, I don't know how often this happened, he said that he had a party. They called it a James 1 party. A James 1 party is where you... You celebrate when you're going through hard times because you know God is going to strengthen you and make you closer to him and make you more of what he wants you to be. The Bible says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And so apparently, Pastor Harold and his family, they had a party. And I thought, that's a great idea. So let's try that. So our family, we got party hats. We got cake. We got silly string. And we had a party. We sat around the table. We talked about all the things that we're thankful for. Ben's thankful for the we. Jakey's thankful for Ben. Judah's just staring at us. And we just go around the table talking about all the good things God has done. We sing to God. We have fun. We have a party. And you know, yeah, it's hokey. But honestly, what we are doing is we are deciding to remember what God has done. We are not going to let go of our hope because of circumstances. And you know what? Since that time, yeah, I got to get a car. But I have felt God's hand holding me up. It has not consumed my mind. And I have lots to do like you have lots to do. And it could wreck my week. It could just drag me down. It could drain my batteries. But God is upholding me by his right hand. And so we have to preach God's goodness to ourselves. That's what David's doing in Psalm 63. That's a key part of being intimate with God. And as I seek God early and I seek him often, as I find him in the church and see his power and glory, as I meditate on his word and I remember his goodness... God begins to change the tune in my heart. My intimacy with God grows and the tune in my heart changes. 
This is what God wants for all of us. Those of us who walk with him, who love him, who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. This is a verse from Ephesians. God says in Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. What's, what's the sign that you're filled with God's Spirit? What's the sign that you and God are in sync, in unison, in communion? What's the symbol? How do you know that that's happening with you? Addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs. When you sing and make melody to the Lord in your heart, when you give thanks always, see that? Gratitude. When you give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants us to be grateful. But our gratitude does not come from trying to be grateful and white-knuckling ourselves to a happy, grateful, generous life. The way it works is, is that as our intimacy with God grows, our generosity overflows. And our intimacy with our Heavenly Father can grow if we seek Him early and often, if we participate more and more and more amongst His people, if we meditate on His Word, if we decide to preach to ourselves His goodness again and again and again. Then our heart is filled with songs of praise. We have gratitude on our lips. And we are ready to be generous in the, in the holiday season. And this kind of generosity, it doesn't fizzle out like a Christmas light. It keeps going on into 2016. That's what God wants to do in our life this holiday season. He, he wants you to want him. He has done everything necessary to bring all of us back into a relationship with our Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. That's available to us if you want it. So I want you to take out your connection card and look at the next steps with me. Because these are some things that you can do, practical things you can do to get closer and more intimate in your relationship with your Father in heaven. The first thing is, is you may have realized as you've been a part of Church in the Valley, as you've been attending, as you've been connecting with Christians and they've been sharing their relationship with God, that you don't have a relationship with God yet. You haven't yet decided to reconnect to your Father in Heaven through Jesus Christ. And you're ready to do that today. And if you are, we would love to help you. We would love to help you get started in your walk with God. So let us know by checking down the connection card. Maybe you realize that there are some things in your life that you give more affection to, that get more of your attention and time, or maybe just too much. And you need to give more of that to God. Maybe you've identified some things that are a little bit too important to you that you may need to give up. Or say no to so that you can spend more time with your Heavenly Father. Whatever those are, maybe write those down. And maybe you realize that you want to see more of God's power and glory. You want to see God working in, in the lives of people. You want to learn how to walk with Him. And you're not really sure what that looks like. You can plug in more into the church in, church in the valley. There's a couple things you could do. If you wanted, you could help serve for our Christmas service. That's a one-time event where if you get connected to the people who are involved in that, you make friendships with people who can really encourage you in your faith. You can also join a team. Teams are a great way to walk with people who walk with God, and that encourages you in your walk with God. Or you could join a group. Next spring, we're starting new groups, different kinds of groups. If you've never been a part of a group, to be a part of a group of people who are trying to learn to walk with their Father in heaven, that's a great thing. You may want to do that. Or, if you're like me and you get to the end of the year, you just kind of get your relationship with God gets colder. You don't spend as much time with Him. You know, you, you're not really praying much. And you realize, you know what, I do. I want to, I want to spend some time with God. So I'm going to commit. I'm going to make a commitment to seeking God early five out of seven days this week. I'm going to reconnect with my Father in heaven. I'm going to spend some quality time with him in prayer and in reading the Bible. 
I hope that today has encouraged you. I hope that you will take a next step in faith. Let's go ahead and pray and thank God for this time. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for how you have reached out to us through your son, how you have made every uh, effort and you have made a way for us to come back to you. We love you and we want to know you. And we ask that you would give us a desire, a hunger and thirst for you like David had, that you would show us if there's idols in our hearts that are competing with you for the affection in our life. And we pray, God, that you would grow gratitude in our heart as our intimacy with you grows. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.